On this episode, I have Donna Stevens, naturopathic and homeopathic doctor. We cover a number of topics, such as digging deeper and understanding our own personal chemistry, the influencers that impact our wellness, and it's not all about nutrition. Uh, we discuss a number of things to include the gap between the science of medicine and the practice of medicine, the underuse of homeopathic and naturopathic methods of medicine, uh, which includes an overuse of pharmacology. However, we also dig into the fact that they can coexist and help enable each other. We also discuss uh, the influence of emotions and uh, toxic emotions as it relates to our overall wellness. Welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. And today, my guest is Donna Stevens. Uh, she is a naturopathic and homeopathic, is it MD or doctor? Or what's the right terminology? The term is, to- is doctor. So doctor. I'm a physician. So I'm just a doctor, not a physician. Uh, at Pure Nutrition and Wellness. Uh, welcome, Donna, to the podcast. Well, um, I'm, I'm glad to have you on. Um, there's a couple topics that uh, I wanted to touch on. But first, let's start with... Um, you know, pure nutrition wellness, what is it that you do as a practice? So as a practice, um, we focus on holistic solutions for people's health challenges. So we will use um, nutrition, we'll use herbal therapies, we use homeopathy and lifestyle adjustments to help people with their challenges. So if someone came to me for cholesterol because their cholesterol was high, if they went to a doctor, they would get a prescription. If they come into my office, we do an evaluation that helps us figure out whether we need to make changes to their diet. Do they need additional help um, emulsifying their lipids? So we go a little bit deeper and we look for the most natural course that we can take to help balance that person's issue. So very kind of personalized, customized, not just, oh, you fit in this box, take this pill. Exactly. go on your way. Yes. Yeah. So we really it's, do um, we focus on personalized chemistry in this practice. Um, I don't follow a lot of textbooks or a lot of uh, flow charts when it comes to health issues um, because your chemistry is unique to you as your fingerprint. And that's something that most people don't really acknowledge. Um, so a lot of times, you know, I may see seven different people with thyroid challenges and they may have seven different reasons why they each have it. It's not always the same reason. Um, So yes, going back to, it's a very personalized approach to understand your chemistry and what dysfunction in your chemistry is causing your health challenge. Gotcha. So similarly, the different applications and tools you use within your practice, you know, you see it on Instagram or wherever, Uh, maybe keto right now might be the, the fad thing. Well, it may benefit you. It may not be benefit me so to speak. And there's underlying reasons for it and understanding the why behind that. Exactly. Yeah. So with diets, that's the kind of the why there's so many different diets and so many different opinions uh, in clinical uh, trials about diets uh, producing different results. It's because your chemistry, it's whether or not that diet works with your particular chemistry. Um, There's not a one diet solution for all, but there are many good choices Um, Once you understand your chemistry um, that can help you, um, you know, either with weight loss or with reducing cholesterol and blood pressure, things like that. But you really do have to look at somebody's individual chemistry to figure that out. 
Gotcha. Yeah, you kind of affirm a joke I've always made, which is we're all walking chemistry sets. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, um, but you haven't always been in the naturopathic, homeopathic vein of medicine. I think you can go back, maybe the beginning of your medical career was a, a little different. Yeah, so I actually came out of school and entered into uh, clinical diagnostics. So that's the laboratory environment. And so when your doctor draws blood or takes a, a wart or a piece of tissue off of your skin, he sends it to a lab for analysis. Um, and I worked in the clinical laboratory environment for about 15 years, and it was a great experience. I'm, I'm a, um, a bit of a uh, a closet scientist. Um, I really love sitting in the lab talking to the PhDs and the pathologists to really understand kind of, of, of what's going on scientifically behind medicine. Um, so it was a great experience, um, but it also taught me some pretty interesting things. I mean, I do think I worked with some of the best scientific minds in medicine in the country. Um, I've worked with a lot of Harvard uh, professionals there, uh, professors and um, uh, deans that were super smart um, and well-educated and had been in medicine for many years. And I worked directly with chemists in the lab. So I got a really good exposure to the science behind medicine. And that taught me something very interesting. It showed me there's a big disconnect between the science of medicine and the actual practice of medicine. Um, and that's not as negative a comment as, as it probably sounds, um, but it it's medicine has a lot of spokes in its wheels. And when we find out something scientifically, it can take 15 or 20 years to actually be implemented at the practice level. And that's because they have to go back and change everything from insurance coding to curriculum at the medical schools to all to the laboratory testing. I mean, it's a very complicated process to change what's happening at the practice level. Um, and so that experience and, and, and understanding really sort of started my brain looking at, well, gosh, aren't there things that we could be doing today to prevent the need for uh, prescriptions or surgeries down the road if we were doing it now? And so that sort of started my whole process of investigating holistic medicine um, and trying to understand how to prevent people from needing prescriptions and surgeries. Not that they're bad, but wouldn't it be nice if we didn't need those? And so that, me so that mentality began that whole uh, chapter in my life. Great. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. It, it sounds like, um, and like you said, it's not necessarily a knock. It's, as we joked around already, the complexity is so broad that if you change one of the many spokes or levers, it has a cascading effect. It would seem it does um, across whatever you're doing and you have to like reset. Right. A, a good example of that would be looking at the lab environment. When we come up with a new test and at the time that this is going back to the late eighties, early nineties, you know, we were looking at HIV testing and some other very interesting things um, when we develop a new test, we have to get a new code so that the insurances will reimburse for it. We have to go out and train doctors on the new methodology. That, has, that methodology has to leak back into the curriculum at the medical school. Um, it, it, so it's, it, it's, it goes on and on and on. It's very complicated to make simple changes to such a complex system. 
Um, so that was, you know, that, like I said, that was a big piece of what made me consider leaving the laboratory environment and going back to school and becoming a traditional naturopath. Um, the other thing that, that I really became aware of is this whole discussion about reference ranges. What are normal reference ranges? And you'll hear this a lot when you go to a doctor's office. Oh, I did your blood work. It was all normal. Well, really what's happened is the doctor has just allowed the lab to determine what is normal. And if it's not flagged on a laboratory test, then they don't look at it any further. That's the end of that consideration. Um, and what I learned in being in the laboratory diagnostics is that, you know, reference ranges are, are a pretty poor measurement. Um, again, going back to personalized chemistry, that has a lot to do with it. But there's a lot of things that don't measure well in the blood. Um, for example, magnesium is terrible to, me to measure in the blood because the body doesn't store it there. And there are many other nutrients and, and substances that, that have the same issue. So laboratory diagnostics by fault has a problem as well. And that, that is we're just measuring what is floating around in your blood. We're not measuring what is happening inside the cell. And that's where the rubber meets the road. So you can have calcium floating around in your blood, but if it can't make it into the cellular environment, your body doesn't benefit from it. So that was another piece of my geeky science background. <laughs> right. um, really led me to say, gosh, there's got to be a better way to help people. Um, again, prevent the need for prescriptions and surgeries. If we could uh, do a better job with that, um, people would be able to stay healthier and live um, a better life without, you know, six, seven, eight prescriptions as they age. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I seem to recall my grandfather, he had like, like you said, six or seven prescriptions two or three to counter some of the other medications and their negative side effects. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not like, you know, they're not helpful, but, um, it sounds like it's almost an incomplete view if you look at just one or two avenues to assess health. Yeah. So, and that's how, and, and, and that's, you know, that's how doctors are trained. Some people get frustrated with doctors, but they're trained to do pharmacology. I mean, they're, that's most of their medical education is, is, is understanding how, you know, pharmacology affects the body and, and how to use, how to prescribe, what are the side effects, how do you deal with the side effect with another drug they're not really trained until very recently. There's been very little training for them functionally or nutritionally. Um, and so, you know, that's frustrating. Um, I think functional medicine is coming along to the point now where people are starting to take a different look medically in their practices at how to help people, but it's still a, a pretty slow process. Um, you know, so it, it, you know, with acute medicine, we, we, in my opinion, we have one of the best acute medicine systems in the, in the world. The problem is on the chronic care side, um, where they're not trained and our approach is not to go in and understand first, address first what someone's lifestyle, diet, and other issues like stress and sleep are doing to them. Our first approach is just to, just to figure out what prescription matches uh, their symptoms and move forward. So, yeah. yeah. And when you say acute care, is that... Um you know, surgeries or, you know, after something has occurred is kind of reactionary. It, acute care can be anything from a car accident to a heart attack. 
to to high blood pressure. Those are those are those are uh, where we step in at from a medicine standpoint, and and you're able to prevent somebody's body from shutting down by using chemistry, which is prescription medication, and that's very valuable in those acute situations. Um, when we chronic is um, you know high cholesterol, uh, diabetes, uh, some blood pressure situations. Blood pressure is very interesting to me. Um, you know, if your blood pressure is above 160, you're running a high stroke risk. You come into my practice, I can tell you a lot of good herbs that help blood pressure. I can change your diet. I can work on your stress, but it takes time. That's not instant. You know, that's going to take time for the body to heal and adjust and then work, work that blood pressure back down. Meanwhile, you're walking around with, you know, a stroke risk. So that's not good. That's when you do use medicine for an acute situation to get that stroke risk um, reduced while you're working on the body naturally. So there are cases where it makes sense to do both. Um, And so I have to be careful. Sometimes people don't want anything to do with medicine and I have to kind of go back and explain, look, it works for this particular reason while we give give ourselves time to go in and self-correct some of the other issues that are contributing um, to this challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's a tool that uh, can be utilized and it's just understanding how and where to use it effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it, you know, you mentioned terms and there's a couple other ones that I've seen around functional medicine, Mm -hmm. integrative, and then a new one I've seen is regenerative Mm -hmm. medicine. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know if people are just getting up with cute terms or there's, it's the evolution of medicine or both. (laughs) Really creative. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get on my soapbox for two minutes and then we'll, we'll talk about something else maybe more. Um, but, you know, holistic medicine has been around a long time. That's actually where medicine began. When right. medicine started in the early ages, it was all botanical. Um, and then in the 1940s, the Rockefellers came along and started um, the pharmaceutical industry. And over time, the botanical medicine went by the wayside. And I won't go down the, the political process of that. Um, but um, so naturopathy and holistic medicine been around for forever. Um, and now what we see happening um, is there was, an, a, there was an attempt to try to make natural and holistic medicine more acceptable to insurance companies, to traditional American medical associations and other groups like that. And so they came up, quite frankly, with functional medicine. Functional medicine is a bit of a bridge. It's not a doctor saying, hey, I'm holistic, but it is a doctor saying, hey, I'm going to look deeper uh, to try to figure out why someone is having this challenge. And I appreciate that. Um, But a functional medicine doctor isn't necessarily a holistic doctor. In some cases, they are. But the majority of them are medical doctors who are now using supplements, nutrients, to help people with their underlying health challenges. And they'll still use prescription medication too, but at least they're making the attempt to find out what the underlying cause is. I still find that a lot of functional medicine people uh, recommend way too many supplements. So sometimes that's the the downside of it is you might come out with 20 supplements um, instead of one prescription medication. (laughs) But, you know, again, you know, you have to, you know, give, give, give them a little grace. Uh, there are some that don't do that, but, uh, but my, my concern and my experience has, has been that they do an awful lot of laboratory testing and they recommend an awful lot of product. And at some point that becomes unnatural as well. It's not yeah. natural to need 20 supplements uh, if you have a good diet. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a sliding scale, like we're saying, right. It's, it's uh, try it 
observe, try it again, and then see how you react, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I would say that if you need 20 supplements, then the issue isn't nutrition. The issue is you got to look at another box. You got to look at stress, look at emotional issues. You got to, there's other places that we need to, to be evaluating why your health concern isn't, um, isn't getting better. Um, and I've often said you cannot supplement yourself out of a bad diet. Okay. You can't supplement yourself away from a bad diet. You can right. get a little bit of an improvement, but the bad diet will override the supplements. And the same should be true about stress and lack of sleep and emotion. So. All, yeah. All contributing factors. Yeah. So we touched on, you know, both, not both sides, but the total world of medicine and you have a personal story. If you don't mind touching on that a little bit where the two did come together uh, that helped your personal wellness journey out. Okay. Wouldn't mind just touching on that for just a moment. Great. Great. So as, as we've kind of referenced, you know, I've been, uh, I was in um, the laboratory diagnostic field for about 15 years, but it's been more than 15 years now that I've been in a holistic practice um, back in uh, well, before I tell you that, you know, and, and as part of a holistic lifestyle, I of course eat well, take good supplements. And I do, I do have a well-rounded life. I practice, um, a lot of physical activity. I'm very athletic, mountain bike, you know, run, ride horses, water ski, snow ski, do all those fun things. But I also practice, uh, you know, spiritual balance and emotional health. Um, so for years, and I mean for years, I never had so much as a cold or a flu. You know, I'd get a little tickle in my throat now and then. And I'd, of course, I'd reach into my, as my husband calls it, my toolbox. And I'd pull out some supplements. And, and within, a, you know, 12 hours, I'm better. Um, so I've led a very healthy lifestyle. Really never sick, never really challenged. And then in 2017, out of the blue, I got a diagnosis of a stage 3 breast cancer. And it was a very fast, very aggressive growing cancer. Um, it was not there one day and it literally was there the next. And I, I found it myself. Um, and I could not believe it, how fast the tumor was emerging. You could actually see it through the skin. Wow. So it was very scary. Um, and of course, as a naturopath, my first response was there's no way I'll do traditional, uh, treatment for it. There's gotta be a holistic solution. And I ran around the country and met with different organizations. I met with three or four holistic oncology groups, and then I met with three or four of the top cancer institutions in the country. Um, and it became very apparent to me um, and to others around me that um, because of the speed at which this cancer was growing, um, holistically, I just didn't feel like that was going to be the, the best route for me. It is for many cancers, but it wasn't for me. So long story short, I ended up choosing an organization that was going to combine both traditional uh, standard of care for cancer treatment and allow me to support that treatment holistically. So this group has both standard um, oncologists and naturopathic oncologists on staff, and they um, have mind-body medicine and all kinds of other holistic uh, modalities. So trying to make the story a little bit shorter, um, I go through my treatments and um, lucky for me, I was able to withstand my chemo treatment without um, any um, immune stimulators. So that's pretty much unheard of nowadays. Anybody on chemo has to take some of these very awful immune stimulating drugs 
Um, and I was able to, with, you know, herbs and homeopathic medications and, and other modalities, support my immune system. And the, so I took no prescriptions when I was doing my chemotherapy. And most people are on anywhere from six to 12 different medications to support them through the process. Wow. So th- that was good. That showed me a really important thing. That, that just solidified the fact that when we bring traditional medicine to the table alongside of holistic medicine, we get a really great result. So I had a super great response to uh, my treatment. Um, and I had, in my opinion, far fewer side effects than most people going through standard of care. Um, the real challenge happened when I went through my surgeries. Um, I had a, unbeknownst to my doctors, I had a von Willebrand trait, which means I'm a hemophiliac. Um, and there's a reason why we didn't know that sooner, but in the, in the surgery, I had a very bad bleed, lost a lot of blood and I woke up in the morning and they told me that, you know, Hey, we really would like to give you a blood transfusion. And I said, no, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Now hindsight, I'm not sure that was the best thing to do, but there's reasons why I was concerned about that and chose not to do it. And I really did believe that I could using my skills with herbal, um, uh, therapies that I could build the blood back up and it would not be a problem. Um, however, um, that became a real challenge. And while my blood values improved, they never returned to normal. And that, that really bothered me. Um, long story short, um, it was around the holidays and I was uh, uh, at a party and visiting with some friends I hadn't seen in quite a while. And someone handed me a brochure for a therapy a microcirculation therapy that I happened to be pretty familiar with, but this was a different device than I had used in the past. Um, and a long story short, I took this device, took it home and used it for 10 days, had my blood drawn. And for the first time in almost eight months, my blood values were all normal. And that means my liver numbers were normal, my white blood cell count, my red blood cell counts, and and more. There were other values that we test. And at first, you know, you can, it's not really a clinical trial, but at first, you know, I looked at that and I thought I changed nothing. I didn't change my supplements. I didn't change my diet. What's happened? I thought that it might be this new microcirculation device. So I went back home and came off the device and didn't use it for three weeks, retested my blood. And once again, my values had dropped. Wow. Um, so it, that was an eye opener for me uh, for a couple of reasons. The first one, if, if you might re- remember in the, in the beginning of our conversation, I talk about how it's a, a terrible idea to try to measure uh, nutrients in the blood because it's not really whether or not they're in the blood that's important. It's whether or not they're making it into the cell. So what was happening with this microcirculation device, it was improving the flow of blood at, at a, at a um, a capillary level, it was improving the oxygen, nutrients, and the delivery system into the cellular environment, but also it was removing waste. So when you go through a lot of treatments like chemotherapy, radiation, or or immune therapy, when you go through surgery, you end up dumping a lot of waste into that cellular environment. And it's hard to get that out, especially if you have a system that's weakened for any reason. So this microcirculation device was actually pushing all the good nutrients that I had floating around in my system into the cellular environment. And I think that's what the big difference was. And so a light went off for me again. I was like, wow, that as a naturopath, that really is an important lesson. 
you can get good nutrients into this into somebody's body through their diet and through supplements but if it isn't able to make it into the cellular environment it doesn't do them much good yeah yeah so this that's, that was a big deal for me that's amazing so you mentioned um the waste so our body naturally does that process correct is that is that the lymph system well it can be attached to the lymph system but what i'm very specifically speaking of is there's this we call it the matrix it's the space between the cells and that space needs to kind of stay fluid and clean because your cell is going to push waste out through its porous membrane and it's going to suck in nutrients okay that's and that's a simplistic description of what's happening but sure. it works now when we build up waste that matrix gets very stiff and congested and so that cell can no longer push and pull it, because there's no way there's no room for it to do that pushing and pulling um, so when that's why it's important for that waste to be removed so that the cellular environment can work correctly um, and so that microcirculation device was helping to remove what was probably an overproduction of waste because of the cancer because of the treatment um, and so my cells could a function normally again but it was also driving oxygen uh, and nutrients into the cell at a at a higher rate than my my cells were compromised now we could spend hours talking about why is was it was it compromised because of the cancer was it compromised because of the treatment because of all of the above it's a little bit irrelevant in order to get well we just had to get rid of that we had to make those cells work better and that microcirculation device is what did that for me wow um it's just interesting you mentioned that it's you know it goes back to the earlier part of the conversation around the blood and you know you can't just look at one area of the body to assess a very complex and interwoven or interconnected body yeah yeah. Um, so with that experience, it's, you had mentioned a couple of different things they've already learned, but what were some of the key takeaways from that experience? And you're, you're cancer free just to. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, praise the Lord. Everything's wonderful. I'm, I'm as healthy as I can be. We keep me on a very short list. Uh, I mean, a short leash. Um, you know, I have my blood values and I meet with my oncologist every three months just because of the nature of the type of cancer that I had. Um, but everybody's super happy. And I have to tell you, I feel great. Um, I don't feel like someone who's been through treatment. I read lots of um, journals from other people that have gone through the process and it takes people years to recover from the treatments. Um, so I feel really blessed that, um, you know, I'm able to live my life like I never had cancer. Um, I don't want to forget that I had it because there were many blessings that came along because of it. I'm able to use this experience to really help me reach and work with other people that maybe I never would have been able to before. And it is interesting to me that, you know, even though I felt like I was someone with good empathy, um, if you've never been sick, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to really relate to people. Um, and so it really has kind of changed the way I practice now. And I think that's, um, very beneficial, not just for me, but for the people that come into my clinic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of answered my next question and maybe there's another point or two, but what were the key takeaways from that experience that you've been able to kind of look forward and apply it? You know, the, one of the key takeaways is as someone who's super passionate about holistic nutrition, nutrition is not enough. Okay. So it's very important to eat well, 
uh, and to make sure that our body has the fundamentals. But um, there are other things that we should be examining on a regular basis that really impact the way the body works. And I don't think as a practitioner, while I knew that, that I was paying enough attention to it. So I think it is very important for us to, to understand that stress has a chemical response in the body and can change and deplete nutritional values. Um, emotions have an extraordinary way of affecting uh, homeostasis and balance in the body. Um, and I could go on and on, but it, it, what it did is it forced me to go back and say, nutrition is important, but there are other things that we need to be looking at to keep the body balanced. I, I could get myself in trouble here, but I'm going to say that I don't believe that cancer is caused by bad nutrition. That goes against what a lot of people are saying, not only my peers, but people in medicine. There are many diseases and many challenges that are caused by poor nutrition. And certainly you're not helping yourself if you have bad nutrition, but I don't think it's the cause of cancer. And that's again, a, probably another topic for a longer discussion. Yeah. But certainly, you know, if you look at illness, you can look at a three-legged stool, holistic or nutrition would be a big, big leg on the stool, but there are other things, other legs that could break and the whole system crashes, even though you have good nutrition. So I think that was a big takeaway for me. I learned that and was trained that, but you tend to sort of, you know, stay in your comfort zone and holistic nutrition was a big part of where I was focusing most of my time before this happened. Yeah, no, that's a great lesson that, um, how do you apply that practice if they're out there and like, Hey, I'm healthy. I eat A, B, and C. Um, what is something that we could, they should look for or, or assess? So uh, let's talk about things that people should look for. If they think they're living a healthy lifestyle, I I do recommend, um, I do recommend that they get uh, a practitioner that helps them do sort of a deep review of their body's chemistry once a year. I do think it's important. It goes back to that iceberg principle. You know, the, the tip of the iceberg typically is, you know, we feel pretty healthy. We're young. I exercise. I feel pretty good. I occasionally get a headache you know, occasionally have low energy, but I feel pretty good. What we don't know is what's happening underneath the surface. And that's where somebody in functional medicine or holistic medicine can do a deeper review to make sure that your chemistry is working the way it should. I mean, that's one thing I think is important. And I'll tell you, as a practitioner, we don't take good care of ourselves. (laughs) eat well, but I didn't have someone else running my test. You know, I, I was not, I was guilty of only me taking care of me. And now I don't do that. Now I have someone else who keeps me accountable and does my blood work and helps me to gives me another opinion about what's happening. So I think so that's, you're, you're furthering the, uh, the doctors make terrible patients. Yeah, they do. We're awful. We're awful. The, uh, the cobbler's kids has no shoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that was, that's one good takeaway. The other is, is to really pay attention to, to unexplained ch- changes in your life. So I was, very healthy. Maybe the healthiest year I ever had was the year before my diagnosis, as far as the amount of physical activity, what my diet was like, all of that. But there were some change, some interesting things that happened to me that I should have paid more attention to. There was a change in in bowel habit. I won't go into that in a lot of detail, but there was, you know, I was always someone who was a certain way. And then, and then all of a sudden I started having some changes to my bowels. And I thought, "Eh, that's just a food sensitivity. I'll figure that out when I have time. 
I'll run that test when I have time. Um, that, so there's, and that's typically what I hear from other individuals is that they really didn't know. There wasn't an obvious symptom of their cancer, but they might've said, you know, I just stopped sleeping well, or all of a sudden I just, all of a sudden I started having really itchy skin or, and they, they too were writing them off as something else, you know, oh, maybe I changed my laundry detergent. Now I'm allergies. Allergy. Yeah. So I would just say that any sort of abrupt change, it doesn't even have to be serious, but any kind of abrupt change in your health, you sh- it should be a flag that you need to kind of go see someone, maybe get some basic blood work done and just make sure that everything is still good. So annual blood tests would be just a good steady practice just to do. And you've got year over year kind of analysis and see how things change. And as we age, I mean, our chemistry, I, I guess the, the, adage is every seven years, our, our cells recycle. So if you look at it, that even as just a natural occurring seasonal thing, yes. uh, it would make sense that something's going to change on you. Yeah. Yeah. I, people, we do change. We age and that changes our chemistry. Stress will change your chemistry in our heartbeat. Uh, that's something I've had to really understand that the people who feel the least stress are typically the ones who are the most. They're suppressing their stress. And when you suppress your stress, we think we've conquered it, right? But really what you're doing is you're, 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 you're forcing a, a chemical burden on your body and that changes the way things work internally. Um, so yeah, once a year, at least having, you know, like I said, a really good thorough holistic exam is a great idea. Great. Well, um, Donna, we're kind of coming up on time. I, this was a lot of information, a lot of great information, um, some practical tips as well. Um, and like you said, I think we touched on about a handful of things that we could probably have an episode easily. Um, so thank you for that. And like you said, praise the Lord for the, the cancer healing. Um, what I did want to close out with is a couple of personal questions. Okay. So what are you reading right now? Oh, okay. That's fun. I read a lot, an awful lot. Um, there's two books I'm looking at right now. One's called Joey, J-O-E-Y. It's a story about a blind rescue horse that teaches people how to see. It's a beautiful story. It's not so much that it's well-written. It's just the concept, the simplicity of life and how a challenge can be a blessing to other people. So great, easy read book. You can find it out there. It's called Joey. And it's a true story. It's an actual true story of a horse rescue here in Virginia. Oh, so I cool. I recommend that people read that. It's great. Kids would love it too. Um, the other book that I'm reading is Clean 7. A lot of people are aware of that. It's another detox book, and I'm sure people would roll their eyes. All we need is one more detox book. But I liked it because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a different approach than I normally take, and I like to read those to kind of help balance out my, my perceptions. Um, it talks a lot about, of course, traditional detox uh, protocols that surround food and nutrients, but it talks a lot about um, toxic thoughts and toxic emotions and how they impact the body and how to do a detox from your toxic thoughts and emotions. Wow. So a good, a really good book to read, Clean 7, will help expand some of the things I just talked about. It's more than nutrition. When we get sick, it's more than nutrition. Let's, let's begin looking at the other things that impact the way the body works. Um, so I would say that's a, a super fun read. If you're that, 
Yeah. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And well, the fact that you talk about the words we use, because I heard um, we were having a conversation recently with some neighbors and they were talking about an experiment they were doing with rice, three different jars, and you speak to one lovingly, the other one you ignore, and then the other one you speak harshly to, and you would see a degree of decay or different degree of decay based on each one. And the one you ignored was actually worse than the one that had the negative um, language. But it was also interesting what it was kind of coming from a theological perspective, but like regardless of anyone's background, if you bless your food or you're grateful for the food that that actually has a chemical impact on the food and your body and receiving that food. It absolutely um, does. Yes. So that's definitely a mind blowing concept. Yeah. Um, so what are you listening to music or podcast? All right. I love Lauren Daigle. Obviously she's awesome. I actually like her first album. Um, so I listen to a lot of her music and a lot of, um, other sort of similar artists. Um, and the other one that I really like is Dean Evanson and he does music therapy. You can probably find him um, on YouTube, a couple of other places, but he does a bunch of different music therapies that some deal with stress, some deal with emotions. Um, it's, you know, enlightenment. It's really beautiful music to sort of, if you're like me, I love my quiet time in the morning. Um, and do a lot of meditative prayer. And so this music is, is very soothing. There's a, there's a lot of research, just like with thoughts, that show how music therapy impacts um, plants or people. And so there's, uh, he, he follows right in line with that. His music is very specifically put together to deal with certain emotional concepts that you might be struggling with. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. That's one thing that I could use is some help in slowing my mind down. So, yes, yeah. Um, all right, last one. What is your go-to rest and recovery method? Oh, very good. Um, I like yoga. I do a lot of yoga. I also um, love to run. I'm having to do less of that as I age, but unfortunately, that's where I kind of go and escape. Um, and um, you know, I'm I'm very I'm very, um, animals do, are, are great therapy for me. So anything that I can do with animals tends to really help me rest, relax, and release a lot of stress. So I have horses, have a, have a farm, I have sheep and, you know, donkeys and other kind of fun things. And so I literally go out and hang out with my animals. That's a, my husband thinks I'm crazy, but on my day off, I want to go muck stalls or, you know, clean out the chicken coop or that, because that really helps me to reset my stress levels. So. Well, uh, Donna, again, thank you so much for the time insights and uh, we'll have to have you back on. Sure, I'd love to come back. So I hope. Thank you for listening to this episode. Lots of great practical tips covered here today. And if you know someone who could get some value out of this episode, please share. Be super grateful. Uh, we're all about being well and improving our, our life. And so if someone can get value out of this, please remember to uh, subscribe, review, and share. Again, grateful for you. Remember, be rested, be well.